These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. Greetings. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the Coffee with Jeff podcast. This is the podcast in which I find a subject I would like to know more about and then write it into an entertaining story. This is episode 222, and on this show, I take you back to America's Wild West. It's the yarn of a stagecoach robbery committed by a woman who may or may not have been Pearl Hart, who may or may have not been from Canada. The story asks a lot of questions that, frankly, I've got no answers to, and for that, I apologize in advance. She was known as Pearl Hart. With the help of a friend, she attempted to rob a stagecoach in 1899. It wasn't the last, but one of the last stagecoach robberies of the Old West. And as far as I can tell, it was the only recorded robbery of this type committed by a woman. After learning about Pearl, I thought it would make a wonderful story, and I was right, but not for the reasons I had thought. After much research, there are still so many questions, including her real name and where she was from. But, you know, it's the mystery of Pearl Hart that, well, I find fascinating. This is the legend of the woman they called the Lady Bandit. Is it a true story? Maybe, maybe not. I hope it is. But if not, well, the legend makes for a great show. According to most biographies I read... She was born Pearl Taylor in the small Canadian village of Lindsay, Ontario in 1878. Right away, there's a problem. After she was sentenced to prison in 1899, the sheriff received a letter by James T. Taylor, who said she was her brother-in-law. Now, unless her sister married a man with the same last name as hers, it's unlikely that her last name was Taylor. I also found an article in 1904 that talked about her brother, and they listed his name as Henry Davy. Also, in 1903, an article in the Kansas City Star said, Pearl Hart is an alias, but she refuses to tell her real name. And was she really from Canada? Most likely that's true, but by 1899, her mother and sisters seemed to be living in Ohio. And after being released from prison, she traveled to Kansas City, where she said her mother and sisters lived. I suppose at some point they could have moved from Canada to Ohio and then to Kansas City. But like I said, most accounts have her born in Canada to a respectable middle-class family of French descent. It was said that the family was both religious and affluent. There's little information about her early life until the age of 16. But the Inner Ocean newspaper from Chicago in 1904 had a short biography of her early life. And according to that article, 13-year-old Pearl, with her slightly younger sister, ran away from home dressed as boys and traveled to Buffalo, New York by boat. They both began working in a factory that hired children before their parents tracked them down and took them back to Canada. Two years later, they ran away again 
this time to Chicago. And like last time, they were dressed as boys. One day, being hungry, Pearl stole a watermelon from a corner stand, but was caught and arrested. Both her and her sister were taken to the Harrison Street Police Station. At first, they were sent to a boys' school, but after they were found to be female, it was changed to a reform school for girls. There, the pair were able to escape by tying bedsheets together and using them like ropes to climb out of a second-story window. Pearl's sister went first without a problem, but while Pearl was climbing, the sheets tore and broke. She fell to the ground. The wind was knocked out of her, but she was still able to get to her feet. Climbing over a wall, they were free again. They quickly stole some boys' clothes and hopped aboard the North Pacific Railroad, heading back to Canada. After three months, they returned to Chicago one more time, but after Pearl's sister became ill, they again traveled back to Canada. Her parents knew that it was only a matter of time before she ran away again, so they enrolled her in a boarding school near Montreal. The school was known to be heavily guarded. Now here's another one of those conflicting stories. Most accounts say she met a man named Frank Hart, who she married, and that's how she became Pearl Hart. But according to the article in the Inner Ocean paper, the man's name was Harry Boardman. I've also read other names such as Elmer Hart, William Hart, Frederick Hart, and others. It seems no one can agree on who this man was. But in an article in the Cosmopolitan in 1899 called An Arizona Episode, which had an interview with Pearl, while she didn't give a name to the man, she did say, I dearly love the man whose name I bore. So I can only assume his last name was Hart. Whatever is true, the rest of the story seems to be consistent. She was an innocent 16-year-old who completely fell for this man. He quickly convinced her to run away and get married. The man she married was a handsome, smooth-talking gentleman who she would learn was actually a drunkard, a gambler, and a possible womanizer. She said, I was happy for a time, but not for long. My husband began to abuse me and presently drove me from him. You see, Pearl was a small, pretty woman, about five foot three, 120 pounds at most, probably lighter. She had dark hair and blue eyes and wore two and a half size shoes. Some say she had the look of a young boy. Who knows what Pearl was thinking when she ran off with this ne'er-do-well? Did she even realize what kind of a man she was running off with? Perhaps, perhaps not. She definitely loved him as... She would later say that she could never stop thinking about him even when they were separated, even after he abused her. Maybe she was one of those young ladies that just wasn't happy living in a small Canadian village and dreamed of adventure, and she saw Frank or Harry or whatever his name was as her ticket to a thrilling life. So they ran off to the USA, to the Wild West. Things didn't go well. I mean, once in a while, Harry would find a bartending job or something, but any money he made was soon lost at the gambling table. He also drank heavily and would become violent towards young Pearl. It was one hardship after another, not the life Pearl imagined. She would leave him occasionally, but somehow they would wind up back together again. During those early years, the couple had two children together, a boy and a girl, now here's another what story do you believe situations. Some accounts say that Pearl, 
returned to Canada to drop the children off with her mother to raise. Others say she went to Ohio where her mother lived. In any case, it does seem like her mother was left to raise both her children. Pearl and her husband, after they got together for the third or fourth time, ended up in Chicago, Illinois at the Columbian Exhibition in 1893. Her husband had taken a job as a sideshow barker. While there, Pearl saw something that would change her life. She attended the World Fair's Woman's Pavilion. She was already fascinated with the cowboy lifestyle while watching Buffalo Bill's Wild West show when she saw Annie Oakley performing. She was able to work at the show and made a little money, so as soon as the show closed, she boarded a train without her husband and headed for Trinidad, Colorado. Instead of going home to my mother as I should have done, Pearl said, I took the train for Trinidad, Colorado. I was only 22 years old. I was good-looking, desperate, discouraged, and ready for anything that might come. She traveled around, sometimes working as a saloon singer, other times a cook in boarding houses, and for mining camps. Over time, the small woman became a broady, hard-drinking lady who developed a love for liquor, cigarettes, and, unfortunately, morphine. She may or may not have also worked occasionally as a prostitute to make a few extra dollars. Eventually, her husband cut up with her and begged her to take him back. He promised to reform and find a regular job. But, like often happens in these situations, he did for a while, and the couple was happy, but eventually, he just couldn't handle the domestic lifestyle and went back to his old ways. After a violent fight in which he knocked Pearl unconscious, he volunteered for military service to fight in the Spanish-American War. Legend goes that Pearl told him as he left that she hoped he would get killed by the Spanish. She worked a lot of odd jobs trying to make ends meet. It was a dark time for the little woman, and she began to get very depressed. I was tired and I wanted to die, she said. I tried to kill myself three or four times. I was restrained each time, and finally I got employment cooking for some miners at Mammoth. It was there while working for the miners that she met a man named Joe Boot. He convinced her that they should move to Globe, Arizona, and it was while in Globe that her husband tracked her down again. They quarreled, he left, and she never saw him again. She was working as a singer in Globe, Arizona, at the Palace Saloon when, in 1899, she received word from her brother that her mother was very ill. Joe Boot convinced her to help with a mine claim he had. She said in an 1899 interview that Joe told me he had a mining claim and offered to go out with me and try to dig up enough metal to get passage home to Canada. But in a 1903 interview in the Kansas City Star, she said, I had been in Globe, Arizona for a year working when I received word home that my mother was very sick. The family lived in Kansas City, and I didn't have enough money to take me home, and besides, my mother needed money. So now I'm confused. Was her mother living in Canada or Kansas? Which should I believe? Anyway... Pearl went with Joe into the mine. We went out to the claim and both worked day and night, she said. It was useless. The claim was no good. 
I handled a pick and a shovel like a man and began wearing men's clothes while I was there. I never worked so hard in my life. She frantically wanted to see her mother. I didn't know what to do, she said. One day Joe Boots found me crying and asked me what was the matter. Then he proposed the stage robbery. I was horrified at first, but then the temptation of the riches and the romance got the better of me, and I consented to Joe's plan. The coach the couple picked out ran between Florence and Globe, Arizona. Pearl thought it was best to look like a man, so she cut off all her hair and dressed in some of Joe's old clothes, and began calling herself Dan Goodrich. After carefully planning the robbery on May 30, 1899, they appeared in front of the coach with their guns drawn. Having all the riders exit the carriage, Joe kept his gun pointed at the crowd while Pearl collected all the valuables. Pearl said to one passenger who hesitated, Cough up, partner, or I'll plug you. There was one man who managed to keep his money. He put his $80 in gold in a tobacco sack and hid it in his mouth. When asked for his valuables, he gave them a little something without saying a word. When questioned, the man refused to talk. How could he with a tobacco sack in his mouth? Pearl and Joe were suspicious, but let him go, probably figuring that he was mute. They collected over $400 before ordering the passengers back into the coach. Legend has it that Pearl gave each person a dollar before they left so they could afford to eat when they arrived at where they were going. Once they were in the coach, Joe fired his gun into the air and off the carriage went. Their carefully planned robbery went off without a hitch. But one thing the couple didn't plan too carefully was how to escape. They wandered off on their horses into the hills of the unfamiliar territory and became lost. For a couple of days they roam, bewildered about where they were. A posse headed by Sheriff W.E. Truman had no problem following the couple. Due to rain, the posse lost its trail. But then Joe was seen in Mammoth, Arizona, buying supplies. While Truman arrived too late to catch them there, they were able to pick up the trail. About five days after the holdup, they tracked them to a schoolhouse, but thought it would be safer to wait for a better opportunity. They watched as Pearl and Joe left, and then waited until the couple bed down to sleep for the night. Carefully they snuck up and, and took their guns as they slept and then woke them with a loud shout. Pearl jumped up, screaming, and was ready for a fight, but Joe gave up instantly. Pearl turned to Joe and yelled at him for his cowardness, and told the posse that if they had tried while she was awake, she would have made some holes. Pearl was found with the loot. On the way to Florence, Arizona, Pearl told her whole story. She claimed that she was living with a man in Globe, Arizona, who was a musician that robbed her of all her savings. Having heard that her mother was sick, she needed the money to go to her. She figured there was no quicker way to make some cash than to rob a stagecoach. A news report in the Arizona Republic newspaper described the couple as, Pearl Hart is little, if any more than five feet tall, has very light hair and blue eyes. The name of the man is not known. He is described by passengers who saw him on the train in custody of the sheriff on Saturday night as tall, stooped shoulders and awkward, with a weak face unlike the ideal stage robber. Another story in the Florence Tribune said, 
The woman is well known in Phoenix, where she was a resident of Block 41. She is a confirmed morphine fiend and requires 10 grams a day to keep herself in shape. The man Boots seems to be a harmless sort of individual, and evidently the much weaker of the two, though he was man enough on examination to take most of the blame upon himself. As things move forward, Pearl seemed to enjoy the fact that her name was in the paper. She loved being a celebrity. The Arizona Silver Belt newspaper wrote, The woman is receiving much attention. An afternoon rarely goes by without her having a lot of callers and herself photographed. The camera fiends have taken shots of her with all sorts of firearms on and looking much the desperado as they can make her. She's fast becoming a celebrity and was called the female bandit. The Cosmopolitan ran a five-page article on Pearl with illustrations. A lot of the quotes I used today came from that article. It was called an Arizona episode, and it said that Pearl was just the opposite of what one would expect of a female stage robber, though when angry or determined, hard lines show upon her eyes and mouth. She said while in jail that she would never consent to be tried under a law that she or her sex had no voice in making, or a woman had no power under the law to give her consent. Yes, she was a morphine addict, a stagecoach robber, and an advocate for women's rights. Now, Pearl wasn't kept in a normal cell, but a regular room of a much weaker material, and she was able, perhaps with the aid of an assistant, to dig an 18-inch hole in the wall. On October 12, 1899, she escaped. Her absence was discovered when the morphine for her addiction was being delivered by her physician. The man who helped her escape was Ed Hogan, who was serving a 60-day sentence for being drunk and disorderly. During their time together, Pearl and Ed had become quite friendly. Pearl's freedom was short-lived as she was captured two weeks later in New Mexico. Her escape and recapture made her even more famous. During her trial, she used all her charms to convince the jury that even though she did rob the stage, it was out of desperation over her ailing mother. She pleaded with compassion in an elegant manner of her desire to return to Ohio to look upon her mother's dying face one last time. Unbelievably, her defense worked. Even with the overwhelming evidence against her, many witnesses who identified her, caught with the loot in her possession, and a confession... It took the jury only three minutes to find her not guilty. The judge, Fletcher M. Don, was outraged and told the jury so. So he had Pearl and Joe put on trial for another crime. Some papers said it was tampering with the U.S. mail, while others said it was for stealing the revolver of the stagecoach driver. It seemed to me that the judge wanted to make sure that they served some jail time. And this time she couldn't charm her way out of the crime and was given the sentence of five years in a federal penitentiary. She actually got off light because Joe received a sentence of 30 years. Soon after her conviction, the Arizona Republic, from November 25, 1899, printed a letter that Pearl's brother-in-law wrote to the sheriff. It read, to the sheriff, I see by the papers that you have Miss Pearl Hart in your custody in Arizona for some misdemeanor. Now, I am her brother-in-law, and I am interested in her welfare. It has been a long time since we have heard from her, and we did not know what became of her. 
The paper stated that she wanted to go to her mother. I assure you that her mother would be glad to have her at home, for I have seen her sit and cry when we talked about Pearl, and wondered what became of her. Since she has unfortunately become an opium fiend, we all have more sympathy for her. She is the only one in the family that has ever become addicted to such habits. Now I would beg you to be as easy on her as you can, for we all have not dared to let her mother know what we have heard of her, and much less that she is a prisoner, as she is troubled with heart disease and the news might affect her seriously. I enclose an envelope with my address for return. Will you do me the kindness to answer and tell me all the particulars of her case? James T. Taylor, 712 Jefferson Street, Toledo, Ohio. Now many at the time thought she had been lying about her mother, but this letter seemed to confirm just what she had said. In the same paper on December 17th, it said, A Tucson paper says a petition for the pardon of Pearl Hart is being circulated in Phoenix. The paper also reported that Pearl is being cured of her morphine habit while in prison. I can only assume it wasn't a pleasant cure. It also said she took up writing poetry while incarcerated. I found this in a paper that I thought was sort of funny. Since the advent of Pearl Hart, the number of female bandits has greatly increased in Pinell County and elsewhere. It is no longer safe for men to go home from lodging slightly intoxicated with any money in his trouser pockets. Every house in Florence seems to have female bandits, and a reign of terror prevails. Now our accomplice, Joe Boot, served less than two years of a sentence before escaping, and he was never seen again. Many assume he ran off to Mexico. Now in May of 1902, a report in the Arizona Republic reported, Pearl Hart, actress, to star in a part made out of raw material. The Yuma Sun says that Mr. and Mrs. C.P. Frizzle of Silver City, New Mexico, arrived in Yuma last Wednesday on a visit to Mrs. Frizzle's sister, Pearl Hart, the notorious female stage robber, who is serving a five-year sentence in the territorial prison. Mrs. Frizzle is an actress and also a playwright and has written a play entitled Arizona Bandit in which Pearl Hart is to play the leading role. The play will be put on stage as soon as Pearl is released from prison, which will be in early 1904. But she wouldn't have to wait that long. In December of that year, Pearl Hart was paroled. Rumors went around that perhaps she had sex with the prison warden and claimed that she was pregnant with his baby. Other reports say she convinced the prison doctor to say she was pregnant by somebody, and either way the warden was afraid of the embarrassment it would cause when it was found out that a prisoner under his care was with child. He quickly pardoned her on the condition that she leave the Arizona Territory as soon as possible and made sure she had a train ticket to Kansas. Now, as far as we know, Pearl never had another baby, so if this story is true, it might have been a ruse to get out of prison. Once out, she planned to seek wealth and fame before the footlights telling her story. Now, this was about three years after she claimed that her mother was dying and the paper said she was going to Kansas City to be with her mother and her sisters. So whatever her mother was dying of, she sure wasn't going quickly. Now an article in the Kansas City Star, November 29, 1903, said that Pearl was working in a cigar store. Some reports say she owned this cigar store. In that article, in a short interview, 
Pearl told the tale of a robbery, but also the article said that Pearl Hart was an alias, but she refused to say her real name. She said that her mother and her two sisters lived in Kansas. And the article wound up by saying she is still planning to hit the stage in a play based on her holdup. Now we're coming to the end of the Pearl Hart story. But there was one more slight twist to this tale. On May 13, 1904, the Kansas City Star reported that a man named E.P. Keel and his wife were arrested on the charges of vagrancy. They suspected that Mrs. Keel was actually Pearl Hart. The following day, the Topeka State Journal reported that the Keels were suspected of being part of a pickpocket ring. And they asked the question, is she Pearl Hart? Apparently, the woman arrested had Pearl's discharge papers from prison on her. She denied being Pearl, but said that Pearl was a friend who asked her to hang on to the papers. And then, on May 19th, the Arizona Daily Star reported that Mrs. Keel eventually confessed to being Pearl Hart. It also ran this quote by Pearl. I've never told this, but my real objective in robbing the stagecoach was to escape the morphine habit. I heard of so many people coming out of these places and going crazy or dying. The habit was wrecking me, so I decided the best place for me to be was the penitentiary, where I could not get a hold of morphine. Since I've been out of the penitentiary, I have never gone back to that awful habit. And this is basically where our story ends. I don't know what happened to the pickpocket thing. I know she appeared on stage for a short time, reenacting the holdup, and would talk to the audiences about her time in prison. But the show wasn't well-received and didn't play very long. It said for a short time she worked at Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, but her fame quickly faded, and eventually she disappeared from the public eye. The Arizona Republic ran a story in 1974 that said Pearl Hart had married a rancher named Calvin Bywater and lived a quiet life for 50 years on a ranch in Arizona. She allegedly died on December 30, 1955, at the age of 84. A little bit before I go. So it seems that everyone agrees that Pearl Hart was born Pearl Taylor. Personally, I'm not so sure about that. I have my doubts. It seems to me that it makes more sense that her last name was Davy. If someone has access to a census of Lindsay, Arizona from 1871, does the names Taylor or Davy come up with anything? Also, I really didn't talk about her time in prison all that much. For that, I'm going to read from a book, The Arizona Territory, 1963-1912, by J.J. Wagner. Pearl was the only female in the institution and thus became a little short of an angel to the felons. Guards and trustees knocked themselves out to do special favors for her. Once she contrived to get a shortened sentence by double-crossing an admirer named Adam Monroe, whom she induced to escape in a meat wagon. She informed another suitor, a guard, of the plan, and Monroe was caught. Prison authorities knew that Pearl was a conniving woman, however, and were opposed to awarding her at the time. And that book credits a book by Brenton Brent called The Hellhole, which I have not read. Anyway, how about the ending credits?
You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. I thank you for listening. You know, this show does take some money to produce and make available, so if you can help me out, please donate to my Patreon page. You can find a link to that on the Coffee with Jeff website. If you can't do that, well, you know, just tell your friends about it anyway. You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you can join if you like. Your story ideas are always welcome. The links to the sources I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. Again, you can find a link at the Coffee with Jeff website. I want to thank my wife of 36 years for being my wife of 36 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media. You have a special place in my heart. Take care, goodbye, stay healthy, and I'll be back in two weeks with something that'll change your life.
Yeah.